0: O'Connor, welcome. Hi. And we're going to talk today about moral obligation, little bit up there, moral obligations in arguments. Because I had an incident a few weeks ago where I want to be a stand for something and I want to say, this is my opinion. And somebody else said, well, if you want to put that forward, if you want to present this, then you have to present the other side of the argument. And I said to Ryan, that doesn't feel right to me. And so we decided to have a conversation about it, didn't we? And you said, what did you say?
1: I said, uh, okay, firstly, we've all been there. We're having a perfectly reasonable argument when we're, we're winning. And the person that we're arguing against has been, just saying, actually, you're wrong to say that because you're only presenting one side of the argument. And actually, if you want to be a good person, what you need to do is argue both sides of the argument so that your audience gets a taste of both sides and therefore has a fuller understanding of the picture. Which is really kind of a roundabout way of saying, argue my point for me or you're a bad person. This is, you know, first year unique philosophy level kind of stuff. This is scarecrow fallacy level, bloody rubbish. And so we were talking about how stupid that is, basically, because they're blackmailing you into being their spokesperson because it's an easy trap to fall into, isn't it? You think, oh, actually, that is true. People do say you need to understand the full breadth of a topic in order to make up your mind about it. And therefore, if I want to present the view in a way that my audience is able to make their own conclusion, then I need to present both sides of the argument, which kind of forgets two things. Firstly, they're already, like the person that you're arguing against is already giving the argument. So if you do it as well, they're getting twice as many minutes in the airtime as it were. And point number two, they're wrong. So why bother? And we were talking about the, the moral obligation there because hmm. if you go down that level of kind of thinking, eventually you're gonna to come to the conclusion somewhere along the lines that no one's able to give anyone anyone's opinions because none of us really know anything and we just live in a universe of chaos. So the moral obligation we were saying is not to present any kind of facts, but to present in the end, your method by which you came to the conclusion, not necessarily the evidence that you used to get there.
0: Does that make sense? It does make sense. I mean, where I was going to go with it before you said that last bit, and that was why I went quiet, was it's what it did to me when that was said to me was it took away all my power because it made me go, oh, well, am I wrong to think that I can do this? I I just want to say what I think. It's an opinion. It's an opinion. That's all it is. It's not the truth. I never put what I say as the truth. This is my opinion. You got your opinion and you are quite entitled to it because I get my opinion from all my personal experience, my personality, my education, everything. Everybody's the same. Nobody can say that one person's truth is the truth it's just their truth so I find when that kind of thing happens it takes away my power less and less now because now I just go "Hmm, no that doesn't sit right with me this is my opinion and I'm entitled to it basically but what you were saying after that in what did you say towards the end just remind me
1: how the moral obligation we have is to present the method rather than the fact.
0: Yeah, so tell me what you mean by that. Explain what you mean by the method. Well, I think you've got to think of it like
1: reading, like school. You know, you go to school and people give you books to read. Your school could be, and sometimes when, when it's a bad school, will be them giving you a summary of all of the books that you're supposed to read and then just kind of sending you on their way. But really what school's supposed to be about is giving you the tools to read because then you can read whatever you want to read and come to your own conclusions. It's far better to be able to read than to just know what's in a book. And it's the same for these kinds of arguments. Surely you can be given the information that you need to know about this one particular issue. Let's say you you know the truth about COVID, whichever side that is because we're not gonna go into that yet. (laughs) but then you're not gonna be able to, the next time we come into a pandemic, apply that specific knowledge to that. It's only one very small, very thin facet of understanding that you have about that one topic. Whereas if someone who knows a lot about, for instance, virology, gives you a very in-depth understanding of how death rates can be predicted, how uh, infection can be mapped, how pandemics are different to epidemics and things like that, you're going to be able to apply that knowledge to a topic that's not just this topic. You're going to be able to apply it to a wider range of things. Does that make sense? Mm. That's the kind of thing. And like that, that's a very thin example. So let me give you another one. The argument that we've got isn't really about COVID. Shock and horror, audience, I know. What it's about is credulity. It's about being able to go onto a platform and listen to someone speak and either believe them wholeheartedly, completely disregard what they're saying, or think for yourself. There's really kind of three options. Um, Ideally, the method we wanna go for is people to listen and not uh, assume that anyone is right until they've formed a complete opinion. That's what we wanna do. So we wanna teach people how to make a complete opinion. The people who go online and read an article about COVID and then just assume that it's correct for no other reason than that's the first thing they put their hands on are honestly as morally bad as the people who go online find the first article about anti-COVID facts and just believe that. Because what we should be doing is teaching people how to gather information and make their own opinion. Because let's be honest, if you're able to make your own opinion and go on the internet and do some research for, let's say, two hours, you're going to probably, I would say, come up with the same opinion as the world's top
0: experts in pandemics and viruses. I think the thing for me, and... I kind of want to go off on a tangent here because one of the things that's really annoyed me about this whole thing is when I say to somebody who is, for want of a better expression, anti-COVID, don't believe in the pandemic, that first reaction, well, you obviously haven't done your research. "Mm, No, I did my research and I came to a different conclusion. That I find really... It's really dominating and it's really manipulative. And I'm going to slip back into some kind of terminology that I used to use with the kids. But where I'm going with this is I used to say to you four, when you'd come in and something had happened, you'd had an argument with the kid next door, there'd been a big fight and something had happened and you'd start telling me, well, he said, blah, 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 blah. blah." She started crying and then they did. Okay, tell me the what's so. Tell me the facts, exactly what happened. I don't want to hear a story. I don't want to hear he said, she said. I don't want to hear what you thought she was thinking, anything. You just tell me what happened. And that's what I look for. If I'm going to believe something, I want the facts. I don't want any hyperbole. I don't want any... Oh my lord, isn't this incredible? This person's done that. I don't want any as soon as I start hearing any of that kind of language, I switch off immediately because to me, all it does is contain manipulative data. It's going to be a manipulation one way or the other. It doesn't matter which way it is, there's going to be a lot of manipulation involved. So I switch off and I specifically go looking for articles that give me facts, information. Not emotions, not stories, not anything, just information. And I think that's where you come from in all this, isn't
1: it? Yeah, yeah it is, really. It, it goes back to something that I studied both in philosophy and theatre, actually, which is the early Greek speech method. So I think it was, it was Plato or Aristotle, right? And you, you probably might've heard this yourself, who split the ideas behind speeches into three categories. It was ethos, logos and pathos, right? When you made a speech, you could appeal to the ethos, which is the ethics or morals of your audience. You could appeal to the pathos, which is the emotions of your audience, or you could appeal to the logos, which is the thought the, the facts for the audience. And the conclusion was that pathos is undeniably the most powerful. Like an audience will just be lit on fire by Pathos. Ethos is a close second. People will really kind of feel, that's how you make your audience kind of connect. It's how you evoke Pathos is with ethos. Logos, no one really cares about that. Even they knew. I think they, they wrote about how, yeah, it's true. It's true, but no one really listens to that. But the thing they noticed about pathos was pathos only works, the emotions only work as a confirmation. If you go up to uh, make a speech in front of an angry crowd and your speech is full of jokes and laughter and things like that, it's not going to work. But if you make an angry speech to an angry crowd, that's going to confirm it. It's going to rile them up. It's going to exacerbate that problem. It's always the same with pathos. Pathos is confirmation. It's never new information. Ethos could go either way. Logos, whenever someone makes a speech with you logos, it's completely neutral from emotion. It doesn't exist in emotion. And I think that's what you're saying is, is when we would come to you with this pathos, you were like, okay, actually, I've already got emotions. Thanks. Don't really need you to give me any. So just give me the logos of it all. And I think that's what you're saying, the people who come up and say, "Okay, pathos, pathos, pathos. Wait, actually, you're not being very ethos about this all. You're just being logos. Be ethos, please. Pathos, pathos, pathos. And look, that pathos is fine. Pathos is fantastic if you're talking about things that you should have opinions about. Literature, for instance, I can talk about Tolkien or Frankenstein or early Greek plays for hours and it'll all be pathos. Should we be using pathos when talking about something that affects the entire world right now in a way that isn't emotion or opinion-based? Probably not. Ethos, maybe, ethos. But probably mostly logos is what we're looking for. We're looking for facts. We're looking for what we can actually do. But despite that, the Greeks were right. Pathos is the most powerful. And it's the most frustrating part of all.
0: I always feel manipulated. To me, that's what pathos is all about. It, it's, Oh, no, it, there can be certain instances where pathos is used to manipulate an action or to elicit an action.
1: One of the notes of, I think it was Aristotle actually, noted that uh, pathos requires the audience to follow the leader. Requirement of pathos. Pathos raises an army, which is great if you're the one in charge. If you're the general, that's fantastic. But if you're a member of that army, you're not allowed to have an opinion of your own. Logos requires argument. It it demands it, really. You need to argue because that's the only way we're going to find truth. Pathos, you're
0: not allowed to argue. That's really interesting. So this leads back to what you were saying a few minutes ago, because it, there's not a lot of argument involved. There's just a lot of stand, standpoints, viewpoints that are yelling insults at you, or one side yelling insults, the other side's going, hmm. I mean, <laughs> we can break it down. I mean,
1: let's, let's break the arguments down for COVID into uh, ethos, pathos, and logos, just for ease of of audience. Because the pathos arguments are, it makes me feel this. That's the easiest way to tell. I feel trapped in lockdown. Great, that's a pathos argument. I feel like this is all made up. I feel like it's divided the world. I feel like nothing has really ever changed. and We're being controlled by a lizard population at the very top of society. That's pathos. That's how I feel. Ethos. This is right and this is wrong. It is wrong that we are doing this. It is right that we should do this. Those are the ethos arguments. It is wrong that we should be put into lockdown. That is an ethos argument. But if it goes, it is wrong to put us into lockdown because I feel bad about it, that's a way of using ethos to tell a pathos story it is wrong to put us into lockdown because it's massively impacting on the mental health of an entire population. That is an ethos argument. But it's also an ethos argument to say, I think the mental health of a population is less important than the lives of that population. That's where the ethos problem really comes. And that's why ethos doesn't really last too long, because it's all about, I think this is more important than this. And everyone's got their own opinions. It's all opinions. Logos arguments. Okay, we have proven through research that this works with a very, very slim chance of someone dying. Very, very slim chance. We have proven that this trend is going to happen. We have proven this. Here is our evidence. We could be wrong, but we don't think we are. That's Logos.
0: You know? But how does this... Go back to. Oh, I forgot where I was going. I've done the, thirteen thousand steps today. Can you tell? I'm so yeah,
1: let's. We'll bring it back around. So the argument you were saying, you have a person who you're um, interfacing with, who says I have the right to an opinion. Correct. You do have the right to an opinion. I have the right to express that opinion in a way that means that you can't argue against me. Incorrect, because you also have the right to an opinion. Everyone's got their own right to an opinion. You see how this works? Especially people who say freedom of speech audience, I think tend not to realize the freedom of speech only really applies to the government stopping you from speaking. Private citizens are allowed to stop you from speaking. It's actually encouraged, generally speaking, because the silent population's better for everyone. So their argument, which is that I have this information and I have the right to express it, that's that's a good one. Sure, they do have the right to express it. You also have the right to say, no, I think you're wrong. And if they're speaking out of a place of pathos, you get to reply from a place of pathos. The most frustrating thing is, listeners, is that Logos doesn't work against pathos. Sorry. It's like paper, scissors, rock. Really, pathos works against logos. Logos works against ethos, and ethos works against pathos. That's just a fun little side note if you're ever thinking of going into debating. So, going back to what we were saying about forming opinions, I think is probably what we what we ought to tie this back into. Okay. As we were saying, everyone, you have an imperative to learn.
0: I was reading an article there, or a book, actually, the other day, about how children are taught to not ask the right questions in school, because you know, three-year-old, you, you work with three-year-olds, why, 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 constant. But we, when we get to school, we stop asking why. It, doesn't become a natural question anymore we don't ask that why or how we're just taught to only ask specific questions or questions that are specific to the subject that we're being taught or the particular part of that subject that we're being taught at that particular time we're not allowed to question beyond that and i oh i don't know where i was going with this but something else has just occurred to me One thing that I find very interesting in all this if we're talking about COVID is the way people are dismissing experts, just completely dismissing them. Hello, this person's gone to university for probably seven years and they've been working in that field for probably 30 years and you're telling them that you disagree with them because you went on the internet and saw video by someone pretending to be a doctor or whatever could be a doctor i don't know one person and you're dismissing all of these other people's experience and uh viewpoints i find that really interesting that i wonder where that ties in with what we're talking about now and going on to the the questions as well moving on to the fact that we're taught not to ask questions i wonder how that ties in with it too I think,
1: okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I am have several responses to several of your points. And I'm gonna go through them chronologically because the first one was the why thing. I think that's really interesting because I, I do, like when I do work, which has not been often in the last 18 months, I do interface a lot with small children, children under the age of five, and they do say why a lot. And it's because I think why is a shortcut for them. What they mean is, Give me more information. They want to press that button. It's a big red button labeled why. Give me more information. And at a certain point, as an adult, you're like, just stop. Just stop. You? Because every time you ask why, I've got to figure out which part of the information you're curious about. Filter that through vocabulary that you can understand and not go on an hour-long tangent about metaphysics. Like, let's not go there. I don't want to tell you why trees grow. Right? Let's not go there. Which is why kids have to learn how to be more specific about things it. because there's a whole universe of things to understand. And just saying why doesn't work. It means that we have to filter what they understand. It's, it's an unhealthy way of learning past the age of about five, I would say. So we, sh- we are at school taught to ask questions badly in some cases. That's the idea, I think. Schools are there to teach you how to learn, not necessarily teach you things. And in my experience, university taught me how to learn rather than school, but that's a whole other topic of conversation. All right, second thing to chat about is the idea that people can go on the internet and dismiss experts. And I read a very interesting thing about, everyone's heard the saying that sufficiently advanced technology presents as magic. That's the idea, that's the understanding. And I read a really intriguing, very convincing article about how the average person doesn't understand how a phone works. I mean, in broadest terms, they make lightning go through a rock and make the shiny patterns. That's magic because we don't understand it. We can look at it every day, day in and day out, for years on end and not understand how it works. All we understand is how to interface with it. And so we're we're increasingly living in a society in which we not only don't understand the things around us, we don't understand what questions to ask about the things around us. We, We don't have the knowledge to learn about how to understand these things. So we're surrounded more and more by experts. And then we're given exposure to, let's say, let's say the tech industry. If we've got a problem with a mobile phone, for instance, and we go into the tech shop and we say, we've got this issue. They'll say, "Mm, could be this, could be that. Let's see how we go. And 50-50, they don't fix it. I worked in IT for a little while. I know their process. 50-50, you cannot fix it. And they'll say, ah, oh, sorry, can't be fixed, right? And either they'll give you a reason, which is full of words that you don't understand, or they'll say, it's just broken, in which case you will think they don't know what they're doing. Whereas if it's something that we understand, let's say a screw, right? You've got a screw that goes into a wall. Every day you screw it in, you screw it out. And one day you thread it, like it's it's gone. You can't. That the thread's gone off the, off the screw. It doesn't work anymore. That's not your fault. It's just broken down. And it's the same a lot of the time with this kind of technology. Sometimes when it's broken, it's just broken. Same as a screw being threaded. But we tend to assume then that the experts don't know anything because we don't understand enough to understand their explanation. Do you know what I mean? And I think that is the root of the problem. But more and more, because we've got such advanced knowledge and so many specialities, we're exposed to supposed experts who try to explain things to us in a way that we can't even begin to understand the explanation. And so rather than just being like, okay, I don't understand that, we say, okay, I actually have quite a lot of experience in the world. Your explanation doesn't make any sense to me. So either I know nothing or you know nothing. I'm gonna go with the fact that I think you're an idiot. You know. And that's what people do. It's 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 absolutely what people do. I mean, we all know it. How many times have we been to the mechanic and they've said, Oh, it's gonna be, you know, so much to fix this? And you're like, obviously you're a fraud. It should cost a fourth of that price price. I don't deserve this. How dare you charge me so much? It's just a tire. No, I couldn't do it myself, but still. (laughs) I think that's what the problem is. Yeah, we are surrounded by things we don't understand. And we don't understand that we don't understand. We don't have the questions to ask in order to ask the questions that we need to know the answers to, in order to learn how to learn. And it's getting more and more complicated every day. And so here comes a problem a global problem. And at last, at last in this point in human history, because this comes around every hundreds of years or so, every hundred years we get another plague. At last, we have enough knowledge to understand this. But it's so complicated that we don't understand the people who do understand. So we may as well be back in the dark ages Because the only people who understand it, no one's listening to.
0: (laughs) And I think that's what the problem is. And then it goes on to trust issues and we've got to learn to grow because we cannot possibly, as human beings, be on top of everything that there is to know. Nobody's going to be able to do that. We have to specialise these days in whatever we do. We have to specialise in it. So... I am not going to know anything about virology. I'm just not. But I know enough to go, okay, you seem to be honest. You seem to be making sense. And that is literally all I can do. But other people are listening to them and going, well, you're not making sense.
1: Yeah. One that I've encountered quite frequently is I've had my first vaccination and I'm getting my second next week. And when you go in, audience, if you haven't been in already, They're very upfront about the risk of death or maiming. Very, very upfront about it. You may die. All right. Thanks. Thanks for reminding me. And so the argument is, okay, wow. Obviously they want to underplay this, but they're still, it's still pretty big. So obviously the risk of dying is pretty enormous. No, obviously not. It'd be ridiculous. It's just that if you do die, they don't want you to have been unaware of that fact. There's still less than the chance of you being run over in the street by dying of this. And even then you only die of complications. If you've got a, a weak heart or faulty valves or, you know a history of blood clots in the family. And it's, it's, it's that problem, it's that trust. We don't know who to trust. And so we, we latch on to figures that, that say the things that we want to hear. This is the way out. I am certain, you know, I mean, I personally distrust anyone who says they know an absolute truth. I know enough about the universe to know that none of us know what's going on. We're all making this up as we go along. And then you get the ethical arguments. And that's where things get really messy. Because some people do say, let the population. The death toll is something like 3%. It's not that high. Just let everyone out. On the other hand, is 3% of the population worth it? You
0: know. Actually, that's a good point because we talk about deaths on the road and we're all trying to get down to zero deaths on the road. What level of deaths on the road would then be acceptable?
1: It's interesting, isn't it? Because that, that's the argument that, that I hold, hold It's For me, it, it's not necessarily a matter of, of, of trusting the, the scientists in charge, although I do. I do trust the scientists in charge. It's an ethical question for me. As is- someone who's been audience in lockdown for a really, really long time, right? It's an ethical question. I would rather do this than let 3% of the population die because there's what, 25 million Australians? What's 25, Uh, what's 3% of that?
0: seven
1: hundred and fifty thousand. is it yeah it
0: is thanks so <laughs> you're right it is seven hundred and fifty thousand that's a lot seven hundred fifty thousand is a lot of people that is a lot if you think about it from the viewpoint of okay if we spread that over two years so that's 375,000. You don't trust me, do you? You're just working out on your phone, aren't no, you? No, no, I've got another point, but I need an accurate
1: piece of information. I am listening. I have I listening.
0: We spread that out over two years and we had 375,000 deaths a year on the road. Mm, yeah. <laughs> it would be terrible. If we got that figure right? That seemed really high.
1: Um. It's funny, okay, because on that, even if that figure is wrong, I remember reading about how the White House has made a a memorial for all the people who died in COVID. So on the National Mall in the US, they've planted a white flag for everyone who's died. Oh, There are over 600,000 in the US. That number in the US is rising every day, 600,000. And what we have done, let's be honest, is incredible the deaths in australia are in the hundreds that's that's ridiculous that's incredible that's so good and yeah me being in lockdown for 18 months has absolutely been worth that i'd do it again
0: what do you think out of curiosity because kira's the same kira feels the same jamie feels the same we're all like no this is This is what I personally need to do in order to take care of my community and take care of other people. Why do you feel that way? What a question.
1: Okay, there's there's three reasons. And the first is basic maths. I've done maths. I've done university-level maths. Didn't enjoy it, but I did it. 750,000 is worth quite a lot more than one, which is me. I am one, they are 750,000. The needs of one are not equal to the needs of 750,000. The second is, I have been wrong several times. I know, shocking. Which means that I cannot be certain, not truly certain, of any decision I've made. That's the thing. And when I say it wrong, I mean, I've done things acting on evidence that should be believable. And by freak chance and weirdest coincidence, suffered because I was absolutely and unequivocally wrong. Like that, and that happens sometimes. Sometimes you can do everything right and still be wrong. And so that's happened to me enough to know that I can't be certain, not truly certain, about anything. And in that case, I need to be aware that my needs and what I think aren't the most important thing in the universe because at any moment I could be wrong. So generally speaking, put the needs of the many before the needs of the few, mathematically and ethically. And then the third reason is of course, that we have evidence of what happens to a population. We've seen what happens in America. You know, over the last eighteen months, two years, we saw what happened over there. Would I inflict that on my community? Mm-mm. They had a riot that went into the capital. Do you do? Did everyone forget that? They had a riot that went into the capital. That's a burst in their history, and they had a civil war. That's pretty terrible. And it was about a lot of stuff but a lot of it was about this, about COVID, about what it's done to a population. It's made us angry, it's divided us, and it's, it's highlighted what you were saying before about us believing people, having trust in people, faith in people, because it's all very well and good to have faith in people when it doesn't affect us. But for me, I tend to ask myself, is a belief that I hold and then discard in times of need, something that I really have. You know, I, I think of these things as a kind of test, as a, a judge kept.
0: And I think it's the same for all of us, all four of us. Keely as well. Yeah, I think, I think for us all it's easier because we look at the the decisions to lock down and the decisions to close the border and we all go, yep, ethically, morally, that's what I'd do. Hmm we're okay with it
1: yeah and i think it also helps that we all know how to gather the information necessary to make those decisions for instance like joe and i here tend to keep up with the daily numbers of covid in our area in a statement in the country we don't read the news articles because they can't be trusted (laughs) they give you opinions they do, they do give you opinions. I don't want opinions. I want numbers, give me numbers. Because yeah. I know that if I read the numbers and the numbers say no change from yesterday and yesterday was four cases, I'm like, okay, shaky ground, that could change at any time. But if the numbers have been the same over a week, I know enough about maths to go, okay, we're fairly safe. If numbers have been zero for a month, We can live lives normally. We had 600 cases in Victoria overnight, and that's up, I think, 50 cases from the night before. That is not safe. That is, like, if you think of the Australian bushfire thing, remember the little dial for Australian? We're up to catastrophic. (laughs) And, And let's be honest, audience, that's what it is. It doesn't start on low and then go up to high. It goes low, medium to high.
0: You know. High. It goes low, medium, high. Does it,
1: does it? Low, medium, high, very high.
0: Extreme and then, ca- then
1: catastrophic. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we're not a catastrophic. We're, we're at extreme danger. And that's, that's what it is. Because when you've got something going around like this, because it's so virulent, we are in danger. All the time it's just a matter of how much
0: danger we're in. We've wandered off the initial topic, haven't we? we okay.
1: about so, so we, we did start doing us, the very thing
0: for us as a family, for all of us, this is actually a moral decision, mm. we're in ethos. We're Definitely in ethos. We're not in pathos. We're not. We're a little bit. We're sort of ethos, logos, kind of. I think you
1: need logos in, in any decision in order to, to you know ground yourself in reality. Otherwise, you're a madman. You need a little bit of logos. You need to know that exists basically. There's logos in every argument. You just need to. That's that's all logos is. It's just the evidence you use to back your decision up. Which is why the people who are against COVID are always like, I read this on this website. This person says this. That's their logos. That's the logos part. They're just building. If you've got a little form saying, What's your pathos? What's your ethos? What's your logos? That's what they put in.
0: Okay, so what's their ethos?
1: Their ethos is, I feel this way. Uh, it hurts me. And if it hurts me, it's hurting other people. That's what their ethos is. 3% okay. of the population, for them, I think, ethically, is not worth the other 97. Their deaths are not as important as the mental, physical, and economic health of the other 97. I think, because that's what this boils down to. Really, that's what this boils down to. Is our suffering worth their lives? Only you can decide, listener, because each of us has a different opinion. We all decided that their lives are most important. Because that that number 3%, it can go up. It has gone up in certain parts of the world when they don't have enough hospital beds. That number will go down with vaccinations. It won't disappear, but it'll go down. And that's all we need. If it can go down to the numbers that the flu claim each year, that's a start. It's not the end, it's a good start. I think that's
0: that's something to keep in mind. Is what that's, what are the numbers that the flu claims? Do you know? Oh, I actually don't know. The average number of heart disease deaths per year is 15,000. It's less than a tenth of a percent. Yeah. That's um, pulmonary.
1: That's, sorry, did you say cardiac disease?
0: So in 2020 in Australia, there were, were 141,000 deaths in total.
1: Because, because, and that's the thing, but for us, the other thing that you've got to ask yourself is, um, you know, what point, because this isn't going to go away overnight, at what point do we go back to normal? At what point is it okay to come out of lockdown? Because if it claims one or two lives a year, it's not worth keeping us in lockdown. I will agree. But if we do reduce the number of people that it affects to, let's say, 0.01% of the population, I think that's a start. We can, you know, start going back to
0: normal. Flu killed 4,000 people in 2019 in Australia. 4,000? Heart disease was number one with 18,000, dementia. Second with 15,000.
1: Okay, so that's, that's a good point, actually, because so far, I'm not sure what the exact number is, but COVID has claimed fewer lives in Australia than the flu does in a year. Yes, 1,167. All right, so it's claimed about a quarter of what the flu claims in a year. And I think that's a good number. That's what we should be aiming for. If we were out of lockdown, that would be an okay number. I'm okay with staying in lockdown to stop that from turning into 750,000 people. That's just me. That's just my opinion. Should we bring it back to the original point before we wrap up? Because, listener, you will encounter people who are arguing against all this COVID information or against the vaccinations, against listening to people in charge, against lockdown. And they will say things like, this makes me feel this way. You have a moral obligation to do this. And you shouldn't be stopping me from speaking because I have the right to an opinion. And also you should present both sides of the argument because that way you could be most fair to your listener who has to take in all the information possible, right? You can hear, now that you can recognize them, the pathos and the ethos in that argument, right? It's no logos. Ideally, you want a little bit of logos. Assume, I say, that your audience has the ability to find information for themselves. Everyone's an individual. We all have the internet. You can go out and frolic amongst the meadows of Reddit chat boards as much as you like. They can find the information for themselves. I think you have an obligation to say, this is how I came to this conclusion. This is what I listened to. This is my ethical standpoint. I think these deaths are not worth this suffering. Or I think we should do this because of this. Because just saying, this is what I think is useless. No one cares. You need to say, this is how I think. Because then other people will learn to ask the questions they were never taught. How to ask. I think that's a good conclusion. We've tied it all together.
0: We have. And we've also covered how we came to the conclusion by that big meander that we went on.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we did.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Ryan.
1: Very welcome. Thank you for uh, letting me ramble incoherently for 45 minutes.
0: And actually, in one of these conversations, I'm going to talk to you about your writing and how you write and how you come up with those ideas as well. Because Ryan's written several plays, some of which have won awards. He's also written how many books? Just the one book. I've written uh, a
1: couple dozen plays, but just the one book.
0: Right, okay. That's and like a
1: volume of poetry
0: coming out soon. And a volume of poetry. And he does maps and character awesome. stuff, Indeed. Dungeons Go and right, Dragons. So. The stuff that he puts out is a wide range of things, but this book is uh, deep science fiction with a lot of creativity in there. So it'd be good to chat about that one day, next time That's maybe. It. Yeah, I
1: mean, okay. I- wrote 120,000 words, and I'd love to chat about it sometimes.
0: He wrote 120,000 words between me and you because him and his brother were having a competition to see who could write the most words in a day. (laughs) (laughs) It was rather an unfair competition because Ryan's writing a creative book, whereas Jamie has to do research. It's it's an academic publication
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> I don't know that's to. how you win an argument Listen, us <laughs> it's uh by making the competition you know biased in your favour tiki <laughs> all right thanks gorgeous you're very welcome I'll chat to you soon
0: Thanks for joining us this week on Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood. Make sure you subscribe to the show on your favourite player and while you're at it, we'd love you to leave us a rating on iTunes or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be amazing too. Be sure to tune in next week for the next episode and remember, if you're busy thinking about what you can't have, how on earth are you going to enjoy what you can have? See you next week.